Good morning and welcome to a uh, Tuesday. We're recording this on Monday, just so you know, but we're going we're gonna to load it Tuesday. So it's going to be a Tuesday, September the 14th edition of uh, the Christian Underground News Network. We're happy to have, as usual, on Tuesdays with us, uh, Dr. J.B. Hickson, author of about, I think, 10 Christian books now uh, and internationally known speaker at at prophecy conferences. In fact, he is uh, re recording this with me right now as he sits in a rustic cabin in Wasilla, Alaska, uh, and he's there at a Bible conference now, and and um, probably busier than three people ought to be. So we're we're blessed that he's made the time to do this with us today. Uh, good morning, JB. How, how's everything going there? Good morning. Thanks so much for having me. It's always a great, uh, great discussion and great time to just iron uh, of iron sharpening iron. But yeah, we're up here just finished uh, the Alaska Bible Conference. And I got had the privilege of speaking six times over four days. And then uh, we have one more uh, speaking appointment this morning, I'll be over at Alaska Bible College speaking in chapel, and then we uh, head home. So it's been a fruitful time, good time. And we, uh, we always love coming up to Alaska. How big is the Alaska Bible College? What, what kind of a student body do they have there? It's pretty small. Um, I'm anxious to see myself. I've kind of, I've never been there. I've talked to them through the years for various reasons and had some connections, but I'm gathering that on campus, they'll have maybe 30 students, something like that. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, very good. Very good. Well, I'm glad they have that, that kind of a ministry up there. That's uh, praise the Lord. Yeah. Um, now this morning, well, uh, I guess we better get down to it because I know you're busy. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, some unfulfilled Bible prophecies, correct? Yeah. So, you know, as you've heard me say many times, uh, uh, one third of the Bible is prophecy and half of that has not been fulfilled yet which if right. you do the math means that roughly 16% or so of the Bible is future prophecy waiting to be fulfilled in the end times. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the Bible does have a great deal to say about all of those prophecies. And so what I've done is kind of taken uh, my top 10 list, if you will, uh, things that I think are the most important, things that I'm looking forward to the most, um, prophecies that uh, are most you know, meaningful or significant or world uh, why those types of things and kind of put them in a list. And so I think it's helpful sometimes to be specific and, you know, we can right. think uh, of certain prophecies. Obviously, some of these uh, will be uh, at the top of just about everybody's list that that's familiar with and studies Bible prophecy. Uh, but sometimes if we take it out of the realm of the nebulous and put it into the realm of the specific, it can really even build up our hope even more. Absolutely. So, yeah, so uh, I called this uh, presentation, and by the way, just so your listeners know, we have the video version of what we're going to be talking about today. Of course, today's a little more free form and just sort of talking through some things, but the video production uh, that was done at a conference a couple of years ago is available at the Not By Works website if someone wants to study this topic a little bit in, in a little bit more detail and have all of the visuals and the video. Uh, it's called Waiting. And I called it waiting because, you know, um, that's what really uh, the blessed hope is all about. It's about waiting, because uh, if we could have our 
way and write our own script, we would all just say, come Lord Jesus, let's get this over with and take us from this uh, sin-stricken world and let's, let's meet, meet in the clouds. But uh, right. unfortunately, uh, God's uh, timetable is not our timetable. And so, um, you know, we're, we're waiting and uh, waiting has a lot of nuances in English. It's, it's a word that we use uh, in everything from casual context, like waiting at a red light or uh, you know, waiting for the game to start, that kind of thing. But mm -hmm. we also use it in uh, more long-term uh, nuances, like waiting for that first snowfall in the mountains or, you know, uh, waiting, uh, waiting for our ship to come in. People will say that sometimes. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I want the listeners to think about, you know, what are you waiting for? And each day we should live in light of eternity. We should live each day with yes. our heart set on things above, recognizing that our life on earth is just a speck on the timeline of eternity that we're just passing through. And there's so much more to come. Uh, now, we, we have to be careful not to be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. We have to recognize that we do have a job to do here on earth and that we have to be responsible. We have to uh, take right. care of our families and we have to make a living and we have to function within this realm of time, space, and matter, such as it is, even though we know that it's, you know, a fallen world. But uh, so there is a bit of a balance there. But, uh, you know, it's like King David said in Psalm 27, I would have lost heart unless I had believed I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And that's uh, from Psalm 27, verses 13 and 14. And uh, by the way, in the English translation of that psalm, uh, in the New King James, the, the heading uh, of it, which those little superscripts at the beginning of the psalms are part of the original text, it's labeled an exuberant declaration of faith. And uh, so that's really what David was talking about there, was recognizing that, uh, you know, that life can be painful, it can be discouraging. But I'm going to believe, he said, that I will see God's goodness. Now, David wasn't, of course, talking about, you know, the rapture. That had not been revealed yet. That's a special truth that was unveiled by God in the New Testament. And, uh, but David was nevertheless expectantly looking for his God, our God, Yahweh, the one true God, to do something uh, good and positive and encouraging in his life. So there's a spiritual outlook to life that spiritual viewpoint that yes. we all ought to have and so um, as you read through the new testament you come to uh, several passages that remind us as believers in the present church age to wait for the lord uh, romans 8 19 says for the earnest expectation of mm -hmm. the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of god you know one day God right. will reveal who are his children and who are not. And uh, right now we may all appear to be Adam's sons, but some of us are uh, sons of the Lord in terms of being his children by faith. You know, if we, uh, as many as received him to, give, to them, he gave the power to become the children of God to those who believe in his name, John 1, 12. So, but uh, it's often hard to tell one from the other, especially these days in this great day of apostasy. Uh, yeah. But nevertheless, we are eagerly waiting uh, for that ultimate uh, revelation. Uh, now, of course, we know, each of us individually know whether we've trusted in Christ and are part of the family of God. 
but the world at large has not made that distinction in terms of those who are part of the family of God and those who are not. But one day, when we move into the end times, uh, the Lord will catch up to meet him in the air, those who know him, and it'll be painfully obvious to those left behind that they uh, are not part of that group. And right. so um, he goes on in that same passage, by the way, a couple of verses later, that was Romans 8, 19, but in Romans 8, 23, it says that, uh, not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the yes. adoption, the redemption of our body. Amen. So I think it's helpful to kind of keep some of these uh, important prophecies in mind. And uh, as it will help us do what we're told to do, which is to eagerly wait for the Lord's return. Right. So I would say the first one, obviously, on anybody's list in this present age has got to be the rapture of the church. Um, yeah, I, get, amen. I get emails all the time. I got one this morning, in fact, that I'm looking forward to returning from a, a listener or viewer or someone who stumbled upon our ministry website, and uh, they were asking about the rapture. Uh, but the rapture uh, is the doctrine taught in the New Testament that um, believers in this present age will be suddenly caught up to meet the Lord in the air when he returns at the close of this present age. Um, it is, as we've talked about previously on your show, uh, completely distinct from the second coming. Uh, there are right. quite a few differences, but uh, the Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians 4 that the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, referring to those believers in this present age who've already died, they're, when they yeah. do, when a person does die today, their soul goes immediately to be in the presence of the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present for, with the Lord, 2 Corinthians 5. But their physical body goes to the grave, or it's burned up, or it's lost at sea, or wherever, uh, whatever the circumstances of their physical death may be. But at mm -hmm. the rapture, the very atoms of those, uh, that physical body will be reconstituted into a glorified, sinless, perfect body reunited with their soul in heaven, and uh, so uh, be ready to go into the kingdom. Paul had said, the flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom, and so we have to be uh, put uh, into our glorified bodies in order to spend all of eternity in, in a timeless eternity in the new heavens and the new earth with the Lord. Um, you know, a lot of people forget that our physical bodies are uh, cursed under sin as well, and it's because of the curse of sin that entered this world uh, that uh, we have disease and hardship and weaknesses yep. and frailty. Um, and so uh, this body just won't do uh, in uh, the new creation. So when, amen. <laughs> when we, yeah, amen to that. Uh, I'm, glad, I'm glad I won't be dealing with some of the things I'm dealing with now, JB. I know. And, and uh, likewise, I mean, uh, I can really understand what Paul meant when he said that uh, our bodies groan waiting for that, oh, adoption, you know, um, but it's, um, you know, it, it's, it's something that we all look forward to. And uh, this perfection, I mean, this imperfection must put on perfection. This mortality must put on immortality. This corruption must put on, this corruptible must put on incorruption. That's what Paul says in first Corinthians 15. Uh, so we look forward to that. Um, and it's, uh, yeah. You know, it's, it's going to be a glorious time. So uh, Paul says after the Lord descends and the, those, the bodies of those believers that have already died in the present age, uh, 
uh, will be reconstituted. He says, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. And so <clears throat> the rapture, that term rapture comes from that verse, 1 Thessalonians 4, 17, where we read, we shall be caught up caught up it's the word harpazo in greek remember the bible of course wasn't written in english and it was written originally in greek the new testament and that word harpazo means to rescue from threatening danger uh, to mm -hmm. snatch or take away and i've demonstrated this in more detail in the video series entitled waiting um, but uh, when the bible was translated later into latin by jerome the, the word that he chose uh, to translate that word uh, harpazo was rapire, which is where we get the English word rapture. So uh, contrary to what some people mistakenly say, the word rapture is in fact in the Bible. Uh, yeah. And uh, it's certainly taught again and again as a mystery. Paul calls it a mystery in 1 Corinthians uh, 15. Uh, he says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall all be changed, 1 Corinthians 15. So uh, this is something that, you know, was promised to us. The Lord first revealed it uh, in that intimate setting in the upper room with his disciples uh, in John chapter 14, when he said, if I go and prepare a place for you, because remember, he was about to go first to the cross, and then he was going to uh, rise from the dead and be uh, seen by many thousands and then eventually be caught up himself to the right hand of the throne of God where he is today the throne in waiting speaking of waiting he's waiting until the Lord says it's time to go go get my saints you know and so that's where he's sitting today and in, 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 in the upper room on that, on that fateful Thursday night uh, he was waiting uh, and he was meeting with his disciples uh, just moments from literally being betrayed in the garden, and he reveals for the very first time uh, to mankind this notion of the rapture. And he says, mm -hmm. if I go and prepare a place for you, which is what he was about to do, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Right. So that's a reference to the rapture, because that description would not apply to the second coming because at the second coming christ is coming back to be where we are where people are that's right coming back to establish his kingdom on the earth and take the throne uh and uh and he's not coming to uh, the air to meet to gather us together to meet him in the air so there are a lot of things that happen in conjunction with the rapture but it is to me number one on my list of unfulfilled prophecies it should be number one on anyone's list because it is, as Paul calls it in Titus 2.13, the blessed hope. Amen. Yes, it is. It's in that instant that we will receive our glorified bodies like we've been talking about. It's in that instant that we'll meet the Lord face to face. Um, it's in that moment that we will be reunited with our loved ones who have died in the Lord. Um, it's in that moment that we'll receive rewards and we'll experience the marriage of the Lamb in heaven. Well, so. You know, Proverbs or Hebrews tells us that um, Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. And so those who eagerly wait for him, to them he will appear a second time. So that That's word right. 
eagerly wait is an interesting word. It's used only seven times in the Greek New Testament. Apodekamai is the way that word is pronounced. And it means to expect anxiously, to look forward to something eagerly with hope, to be in a continual state of expectancy. And you know, what's interesting, Curtis, is it's used only seven times and all seven times in the New Testament, it refers to the rapture. To the rapture. To mm-hmm. eagerly wait for something, to expect anxiously. And um, by the way, it's re- used um, all seven times by the Apostle Paul, if we assume he wrote Hebrews, because six times it's in Paul's letters, and then once in the book of Hebrews, like I just read, Hebrews 9.28. So if he wrote Hebrews, which many think that he did, myself included, then um, that would mean that all seven times it's used by the Apostle Paul. And all seven times it's used referring to the rapture. Um, And even though Jesus was the first one to make a reference to the rapture, as we just talked about in the upper room, it was, in fact, the Apostle Paul who, under the inspiration of the Spirit, uh, God revealed uh, through him this the details of this rapture. So, yeah, are you eagerly waiting for his return? That's the that's the question. We are supposed to wait for his son from heaven who will deliver us from the wrath to come, 1 Thessalonians 1.10. And, uh, you know, I have uh, uh, a a, uh, little placard. We call it the rapture placards. Uh, Some of you may have seen these, but uh, I came across it because my grandparents and then also my parents to this day always had a printed copy of this little placard in a frame, um, typically by their door. With my grandparents, it was by the doorbell. And it... uh, uh, it was actually, theirs wasn't framed. It was actually tacked up. I can remember it every time we would go visit my grandparents, it was right there by the doorbell. And it said, to whom it may concern, the believers of this household are looking for the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when it occurs, it will suddenly be discovered that millions of people are missing and this home will be found empty. Then may you realize that the true Christian church has been taken out of this world, an event clearly prophesied in the Bible. First Thessalonians 4, 2 Corinthians. 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 Corinthians 15, Titus 2. It will mean that Christ has called his people who are saved by grace through faith in him to ever be with the Lord. Do not search for us. We will return with Christ after seven years of tribulation when he comes to judge the Antichrist and take the throne of his father David as promised him. In the meantime, do not weep for us for we are finally home. So, uh, you know, it's a a great reminder of, of, or it's a great way to put... uh, you know, feet to your faith. And if we really believe that the rapture is the next great prophetic event to which the world looks forward, if we really are uh, looking up for that blessed hope, then we ought to leave uh, communiques like that behind so that those who may not know the Lord and are left behind will have some guidance and, uh, and right. access to the gospel. So we actually sell those placards, um, at our Not By Works online store. If anyone's interested, you can check that out. They come in packages of 10 and they're laminated and you can kind of maybe give them to some friends or something. But yeah, number one in the top 10 unfulfilled prophecies is uh, the rapture. So related to that, uh, and again, now we're getting into just things that really... uh, interest me and that I get excited about, and I think most people do as well. Um, But the second one, and we've already talked about it a little bit, it's related to the rapture, 
and that is the glorification of our bodies. That yeah. is an unfulfilled prophecy. Right. And, um, it's something that, uh, as we've said, has to um, happen. Uh, and as God's plan of the ages uh, comes to consummation, uh, and it's something that people uh, sometimes forget that our physical physicality is constrained, obviously, to the world of time, space, and matter. It is part and parcel to time, space, and matter. And as such, it is under the curse of sin, like all of the created realm. And someday, as the Bible comes full circle to the pre-fall Edenic state, when Christ comes back and makes all things new, even our bodies will have to be recreated, as it were. Um, and the whole earth will, in fact. Um, you know, the, the the new heavens and the new earth are not uh, a renovation project. Uh, there's not, it's not just a Band-Aid uh, on right. the problems with this world. It's a complete and utter destruction, according to 2 Peter 3. And it melts with fervent heat. Yeah, it completely, uh, it completely, I didn't know you believed in global warming, Curtis. Well, no. I, uh, only in that particular scripture would okay. I even give it any credence at all. Okay, good. Yeah, it's all, all everything in a context, right? That's uh, right. So yeah, absolutely. It's going to burn up um, and then uh, be recreated uh, just like it was uh, originally. And so our bodies, the same thing is true. We know this will happen in conjunction, at least for believers of the church age, in conjunction with the rapture. Um, the dead in Christ will rise first, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. Uh, we will all be changed, 1 Corinthians 15, 52. The passage that I referenced earlier was this corruptible must put on incorruption this mortal must put on immortality uh, because flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom so uh, this is true of all believers of all ages but the question of timing uh, is different for each group and one of the charts that we have and if, if this if you're watching this on a video <clears throat> the video you would see this uh, chart on the screen so I do encourage you if you're interested uh, to consider uh, picking up the uh, the DVD. I think the um, digital download is just five bucks and the DVD is 10. But um, we have a chart that says, when will our bodies be resurrected? And it walks through the teaching of scripture uh, related to the timing of the glorification of our bodies. And for a church age believer, this happens at the rapture as we've established. But for an Old Testament believer, people who came to know the Lord before the start of the church age, people like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, Daniel, and so forth. Uh, the Bible tells us that their bodies will be resurrected at the second coming, the second when, the coming. Kingdom, when the kingdom is inaugurated. And we get that from Daniel 12, verse 2, Isaiah 26, uh, verses 19 to 21. So uh, we will be the first fruits, the ones who get their resurrected bodies first. And then after the seven years of tribulation, the Old Testament saints uh, will be resurrected so that they can enter the kingdom. And, uh, and then uh, for tribulation saints, those who got saved after the rapture, during the Antichrist's reign of terror, uh, they too will get their glorified bodies at the second coming of Christ. And um, so uh, by contrast, all unbelievers, those who don't know the Lord, they too will have a resurrected body, but not a glorified body that will allow them to enjoy uh, the eternal new heavens and new earth, but a physical body that's resurrected 
in order to cast them into the everlasting lake of fire. And it's a very frightening prospect that's talked about there in Revelation chapter 20. Uh, but uh, uh, those who've never placed their faith in Christ and thereby uh, receiving, uh, you know, the gift of eternal life will have to face all of eternity uh, in, a, in a literal place of torment called hell. Yeah. So yeah. The, the, uh, the third, uh, uh, you know, uh, the third uh, uh, prophecy that is unfulfilled that I think has great excitement and something that should be on the minds of uh, all believers is the judgment seat of Christ. And we have not talked about this a whole lot uh, on your show on these uh, Tuesday morning sessions. And frankly, it's a subject that really gets neglected more than it should across the board in the area of end times uh, um, study. But Agreed. the judgment yeah. seat of Christ is another one of those unique prophecies that is introduced in the New Testament, and it relates only to uh, the present church age believers and it's the name judgment seat of christ is a little bit misleading uh the name is taken from a cultural uh common uh thing in the first century that was around during uh, paul's day and that was called the bema in greek the bema judgment or the bema seat more specifically and uh in the first century in the in the uh communities uh, in the agora as we call it the, the, the kind of the town square where everybody would gather they always had this raised platform called the bema seat and it was where the town uh, councils and judges would sit and help settle disputes so if you had a, a dis- debate with your neighbor over the cost of a, a pumpkin or something and, or you were having a, some other uh, disagreement you could bring it to the bema seat and uh, the ruler there would give a ruling. And so Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, speaks of another time when all believers will stand before uh, Jesus Christ and his throne, and we will be rewarded. We'll be evaluated first based upon our life of faithfulness on earth, and then we will be rewarded accordingly. And so using that metaphor of a Bema seat, he calls this the judgment seat of christ and uh but contrary to what you normally think of when you think of a judgment that that moment for believers of the church age will not be a judgment of uh whether or not to get into heaven or punishment or whether you receive some kind of punishment or not it's only about rewards it's an evaluation where uh we are given you know tenfold fivefold whatever based upon our faithfulness and it's talked about in first uh, Corinthians chapter three and chapter four clarifies in first Corinthians that it's based upon the counsels of our heart. It's not based upon legalistically doing things. It's about our heart attitude. And so uh, all believers will be gathered after the rapture before the judgment seat of Christ, and we will be rewarded accordingly. And we will not be all rewarded the same, by the way. And sometimes people struggle with this because we live in a realm uh, where uh, there, there it's always a quid pro quo type of mentality. And we, we like right. to earn stuff. And we think that, you know, no. you get payday and there's always a payoff at some point based on how you perform. It's a very performance oriented world. Mm-hmm. 
but um, but the fact of the matter is, in the eternal state, and the new heavens and the new earth, and in the kingdom, the eternal kingdom someday, there will be varying levels of uh, position and authority and rulership. There will be different levels of blessing and reward. Of mm-hmm. course, there will be no sin. So, uh, yeah, even, even yeah, even though there are no. Uh, let different levels of, even though there will be different levels of reward it doesn't nec- it doesn't follow that there will be jealousy or covetousness or bitterness or how come he gets more than me um, and we ought to understand this fairly simply because we, we understand that those uh, that fruit of the flesh will no longer be a reality when sin shall be no more and but more than that even today in this present sin-stricken world we understand uh, anecdotally, that it is possible for others to receive certain blessings that we don't receive, and yet we're not bitter about it, you know, in all yeah. genuineness. Um, and so, if that's certainly if that's possible here in this fallen world, it's certainly going to be possible in the new heavens and the new earth. And so, I know, I know that I'll be tickled to have new knees and ankles. Yeah, for sure, no question. That's, so, I'm, I'm happy. Okay? Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, then you can, you know, run and, 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 and gallivant around and, and without pain. Um, that's right. But of course, you know, that's uh, related to the glorified bodies. That's not a reward. The rewards that are mentioned at the judgment seat of Christ are things like positions of, th- of service, uh, mm-hmm. special authority, reigning with Christ. Remember, Jesus told the disciples that they would reign on 12 thrones with him. Um, yeah. So the, the judgment seat of Christ is really an important doctrine because it, it sort of bridges that gap between the free gift of eternal life and then the stewardship of, of our life as disciples and what we do with that. And mm-hmm. we, we, as I said, God made us as people who like to earn things. Even before sin entered the world, Adam was given a job. So working is not something that is a product of the fall. It's just a natural part of being a human being. And so God knows that Uh, he made us. And so he created a system whereby out of our faithfulness and good attitudes, uh, we can store up treasures in heaven uh, that we will be uh, rewarded with. And those will be distributed at uh, the judgment seat of Christ. So uh, the judgment seat of Christ is just one of many eschatological judgments but it's the only one that involves no punishment and it's the only one that involves nothing but reward uh kingdom rewards for for faithful service during our present life on earth and uh it's um, also the next one that happens again another chart that we have in our chart book um is called eschatological judgments and it talks about the judgment seat of christ first but then the judgment of the Antichrist and false prophet, the sheep and the goats judgment, the final judgment of Satan, and then ultimately the great white throne judgment. And those last four judgments are all judgments of uh, unbelievers or judgments anyway to see who gets into heaven, uh, but or not. But the judgment of Christ, despite its name, is not a judgment of that nature. It's a time of reward only. Um, there will be no punitive damages. God's not going to be doling out spankings because you didn't behave yourself on earth. Um, we are promised in scripture that we shall, that if we've placed our faith in Christ, Jesus said, we've passed from death to life and shall never come into judgment. And uh, that uh, there, you know, we're never under God's wrath. 
that his wrath has been propitiated by the blood of Christ, which we have accepted uh, yes. by faith. And so it's not a time of punishment or punitive damages. Um, you know, some people really take this uh, completely out of context and, and have, have really gone off the radar, uh, gone off the reservation rather for, with this teaching. Um, and uh, we uh, recommend an excellent book. I didn't write it, but it's a, a very good treatment of this false notion that somehow believers of this present age can be punished later on in the afterlife in some sort of a Christian purgatory. Uh, it's just not the case. So uh, the beam of judgment is, I think, third on or yeah, third on my list of future uh, unfulfilled prophecies. And, and it represents kind of the rewards program for Christians. Um, and we will be, uh, you know, Jesus himself, one of the last things we have recorded in scripture in Revelation twenty two twelve is behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to give yeah. to everyone according to his work. And of course, that's not talking about heaven because the Bible is very clear that we don't get heaven based on our work. We get heaven right. uh, based as a free gift based upon our faith. So when Amen. he says, my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work, he's talking there about this doctrine of uh, rewards. Colossians 3, Paul says, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing That's that right. from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. Um, and John tells us in second John, look to yourselves that we do not lose the things we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. Again, you don't get heaven based on working for it. So he's talking there about uh, rewards, positions of service and that type of thing in the kingdom. Jesus said in Luke 19, that those who are faithful while he is gone and have proven themselves to be good stewards of this life of service that we have will hear the words well done good servant because you were faithful in a very little have authority over 10 cities so uh, very important doctrine often misunderstood but it does give us the the, the motivation not the only motivation uh, but one of them in my uh, book what lies ahead my eschatology book uh, a biblical overview of the end times we have a chapter on the judgment seat of christ and we also have a chart at the back in the appendices that talk about motivations for the believer to do good works. And one of those motivations, and it's a perfectly biblical motivation, is the prospect of reward. Uh, it's not the only motivation. There are many reasons that believers should serve the Lord faithfully. Uh, gratitude for our salvation, wanting to set a good example, love for the Lord, many others. But one of them is the fact that we know we're going to have to give an account someday, and we want to store up treasures in heaven, as Jesus said, so that we can turn around and lay those treasures at the feet of our Savior someday. So uh, let's move on to number four. Uh, and I can already tell I'm going to have to uh, either go faster or we're not going to get through all these 10. <laughs> but, uh, uh, it, it's fun to think about them. Um, the, uh, so, so we've talked about the rapture being one of them, the receiving our glorified bodies, the judgment seat of Christ. And then number four is the unveiling of the Antichrist. Now you say, why in the world would that be something that we look forward to or one of the most important unfulfilled prophecies? Well, um, you know, it, it's kind of like uh, watching the opposing football team 
come out of the tunnel and onto the field before the game. You know, uh, as you see them come out and they're the visiting team, typically the, the stands all growl and grumble and boo and the fans are saying, we're going to crush them. We're going to kill them. We're going to beat them. And it's just sort of, it's, it's, it's a, you know, you, you don't like them. They're not who you're rooting for, but it That's shows right. you the game's about to start. And uh, in, the, in mm-hmm. the sense of the cosmic struggle, when we see the Antichrist come on the scene, uh, we know that the end is near. Uh, we know that the fi- final battle is right around the corner, and we know that God is going to crush Satan through crushing the Antichrist. And um, so the unveiling of the Antichrist, um, while he is a, an evil world dictator and tyrant, and of course we as believers in this present age will be not on earth during his reign of terror uh, because the Bible promises that we will be rescued before that day of God's wrath. Uh, doesn't mean we're not going to face terrible, horrific experiences, and many believers have for 2,000 years, including martyrdom. And if the Lord doesn't come back soon, we may face the same types of persecution in our own country here in America. We but, may. Yeah, we may. And um, but, uh, but it does promise that before the Antichrist reign of terror, uh, the church will be rescued because that reign of terror constitutes the final seven years, the outpouring of God's wrath, and as we've already pointed out, we are promised that we won't be on earth when God's wrath is poured out. So, uh, so the unveiling of the Antichrist, we won't be here on earth when it happens, but obviously many millions of people will be, and it's sort of the signal that the, the final battle is close, and it's for that reason something that you know, we can get excited about. Uh, no reason to try to speculate on who the Antichrist might be. We know that uh, the devil is not omniscient, so therefore he has to have his man of the hour standing by and ready at all times, because as soon as the rapture happens, he knows that it's time to, uh, to step into the game. Um, you know, the devil right now, uh, though he is trying desperately to take over the world in this satanic uh, conspiracy, uh, he is being inhibited in that attempt by the restraining influence of the church, by the, the move of the Holy Spirit in and through the bride of Christ, the church today. And when that restraining influence is removed at the rapture, according to 2 Thessalonians 2, then uh, it's going to, Satan's going to really see an incredible opportunity from his perspective. And that's when he's going to swoop in, in I believe, and dwell the antichrist remember satan is the prince of demons and demons can indwell on believers we know that satan indwelt judas for example uh, right and so he's going to you know have an incredible impact on the world like no man before him ever has um, the antichrist that is because of satan's uh, empowerment so uh, i do believe that that prophecy is one that um, i can't wait to see happen i know it's going to be uh, an evil, destructive time, and he's not a pleasant uh, person, but it's part of God's plan, and we can't get to making all things new until we have that climactic uh, battle, and right. so we know when we see that, that the end is, is near. Mm-hmm. Um, number five on my list of top ten would be uh, the outpouring of God's wrath, again, related to the Antichrist. I'm kind of thinking of these 
unfulfilled prophecies in sequential order. Just that's just the way my mind works. But once again, the outpouring of God's wrath is critically important because it's the great equalizer. It's when justice will be served. It's it's like the hero in one of those movies, uh, you know, about uh, where a victim gets vengeance in the end, and the audience is cheering because it makes them feel good to know that, um, you know, it, there is you know, that injustice was re remedied, and so. Uh, when we see that final seven-year period known as the 70th week of Daniel, the final seven years in that 490-year prophecy that God mm -hmm. had laid out in Daniel 9, then that's a time to stand up and cheer. Uh, again, from a human perspective, it's going to be a time of uh, great sorrow and sadness. In mm -hmm. fact, Jeremiah calls it the time of Jacob's trouble, Israel's trouble, because there will be so many, so much bloodshed. But from a spiritual perspective and a divine perspective, it is when th that moment when God says, I've had enough and I'm done. I'm, I'm tired of sitting back and, uh, you know, allowing Israel to be trampled by Gentiles and allowing evil men to go unchecked. I'm, I've, I've waited long enough. Now it's time to move in. And the day of the Lord is, is any time when God directly intervenes in the affairs of mankind. Um, we see God intervening today all every day, and sometimes in a supernatural way. We see miracles take place, and we see isolated examples where God is making himself known in very um, significant ways. And of course, all throughout the earth, the Spirit of God is moving, and God's presence is very visible. But during that seven-year period, he will burst on the scene once again in this it's like Satan and God both enter the boxing match and all eyes are on this final uh, battle. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's referred to as uh, the time of tribulation or the great day of the Lord's wrath, uh, the overflowing scourge, uh, the, uh, again, the 70th week of Daniel, the time of Jacob's trouble and so on. And so we do look forward to the outpouring of God's wrath because it reminds us that God has not forsaken us. He's not mm -hmm. forgotten us that all the cries for vengeance that have gone out uh, will be heard. They are being heard, and uh, we will experience that incredible blessing. Uh, so, again, we will be in heaven at that time, believers of this present age, but all hell will literally be breaking loose on earth in this final struggle between the wrath of Satan and the wrath of God. Uh, and that's a good thing because, again, it's, it shows us that God's plan is being fulfilled precisely as he said it would. And it right. shows us that God is attentive and, and not, uh, you know, forgotten us. Right. Um, and then uh, number six would be the glorious return of our Lord, the second coming of Christ. Um, we've already mentioned that the second coming is not the same event as the rapture. At the rapture, the Lord... Uh, comes in the air and believers meet him in the air and what a great reunion that will be but at the second coming he comes as a victorious warrior coming to tread the wine press of the wrath of uh, almighty god coming to uh, strike the nations revelation 19 tells us mm -hmm. coming so that all the nations will be upon his shoulders and he will rule them with a rod of iron isaiah says so mm -hmm. we by the way will be coming back with him you know, we will, according to Revelation 19, we are the armies of heaven riding with him to rule and reign with him and to help govern the world in this coming kingdom. Um, but the second coming of Christ is probably the most uh, significant in terms of global 
events of future prophecies because it is the start of that final dispensation, the kingdom age, when mm-hmm. the king finally takes the throne. Um, he's not on the king's throne today. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. Jesus Christ is uh, at all times prophet, priest, king, and judge, but he's not functioning in those roles uh, here on earth. He came as prophet during his earthly ministry. He is now serving as priest, as our advocate in heaven at the right hand of God. Um, He will come as king and rule and reign over the world, as king of kings and lord of lords in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And then one day, he'll take the role of the judge at the great white throne, and Mm -hmm. that'll be the final step. So um, we want to, we understand that from a divine perspective, Christ is uh, unchanging. He is, uh, you know, not something that he can get better or worse or take on new uh, identities. He is all of these things. He exists in the eternal now. He is the I am, the triune God. But from a human, temporal, earthly perspective, um, he's not functioning as king today. And uh, right. you wish he was. If he was, things wouldn't be as bad as they are. Amen. <laughs> So the second coming of Christ will be a really a glorious uh, time, and we sure look forward uh, to that. It's something that all uh, believers should eagerly anticipate and look forward to. And then uh, following his return, and this is kind of related, uh, but is the millennial reign of Christ. Remember, Christ's reign will occur both on the old heaven and the old earth at first for a thousand years, and then for all of eternity on the new heavens and the new earth, uh, when the triune God reigns, and there is no more night, no more sorrow, no more sea, those types of things, sin uh, is done away with, and time shall be no more. But that millennial reign during the first thousand years is where, you know, his everlasting dominion that Daniel talked about is meted out, and uh, where he sets up a kingdom which will never be destroyed, as Daniel said in Daniel 2. Uh, All the kings of the earth shall fall down and worship him, Psalm 72. Uh, Psalm of Solomon, by the way, uh, tells us. Isaiah said the governments will be upon his shoulder, as I mentioned earlier. He'll take the throne of his father, David. So there are a lot of characteristics of the millennial reign of Christ that we see described in the Old Testament. Uh, increased territory for Israel, the enlargement of Jerusalem, the incredible millennial temple that Ezekiel talks about in chapters 40 to 48, in all of its glory. Um, And I get into several uh, of these types of characteristics uh, that are mentioned uh, in, in the Old Testament, but one of them on a personal level for those believers who survive the tribulation in their physical bodies and enter into the millennium when Christ comes back in their physical mortal bodies, one of them is going to be the, the restitution or the restoration of longevity of life. That's uh, right. People will live longer. Isaiah says that in Isaiah 65, verse 20, that if someone dies at the age of 100 during this millennial reign of Christ, they'll be considered an infant when they die. Infant, yeah, that's right. So, uh, you know, we're going to see an increase in daylight. Basically, the Bible is, is coming full circle back to the ultimate time when Christ makes all things new. And so a lot of the impacts of the fallen world and the curse of sin will be uh, marginalized 
and mitigated by the fact that the God himself is on the throne uh, in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So we're going to see you know, economic prosperity, universal access to Israel, the Middle East peace crisis will be no longer an issue um, because the Prince of Peace is on the throne. And so that millennial reign of Christ is number seven on my list as an unfulfilled prophecy. And then we get into some of the prophecies uh, that near the very end of time, and that one of those is the final judgment of Satan. Right. Again, that's uh, on the list of my, uh, what I call eschatological judgments, meaning end times judgments. But Revelation chapter 20, verses 7 to 10, speak of that moment when Satan himself, after the thousand years, is cast into the lake of fire where he will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Um, and Satan knows that that judgment is coming. He yeah. doesn't believe it, but he knows that God has warned him about that. And it's on he, his calendar too. Yeah, it is. And he somehow is self-deceived and thinks he can defeat, you know, avoid it. But in Revelation chapter 12, we know that at the midpoint, uh, he's going to just, of the tribulation of that final seven years, he's just going to pull out all the stops. Uh, he's, his great wrath, Revelation 12, 12 uh, tells us will be unfurled because he knows that his time is short, quote unquote. So um, that uh, is a great promise for believers that this, that the devil will not always um, be uh, a factor that ultimately he's going to be judged. Amen. And then, uh, on a sadder note, uh, the ninth prophecy on my list is the final judgment of unbelievers. Yeah. So in the same way that uh, the Antichrist was judged or will be judged, the same way that Satan will be judged, those who've never received the free gift of eternal life, likewise, will face an eternal, ultimate, final judgment. And it's called the Great White Throne. Um, it is... Uh, uh, a somber warning for those who have not received the free gift of eternal life. You know, a lot of times people will say, you know, how could a loving God send uh, people to hell? Well, they don't really understand uh, God if they think that because God would never send anyone to hell. In fact, he's doing everything he can to keep everyone uh, from hell. Uh, it'd be like, you know, blaming a parent, you know, how can a loving parent let his child do drugs? And, and, and when someone were to say something like that, you'd be like, well, I don't think the parents let their children do drugs, but sometimes kids make poor choices and they do things they shouldn't. And, and uh, you, can't, you can't shake your fist at the parent and say, oh, look what you did. No, the parent probably did everything they could to train their children upright, but sometimes they do drugs. In the same way, God created mankind in his image and he warned us, warned Adam and Eve, don't eat from that one tree because it'll kill you. And I love you so much, I don't want you to die. So please don't eat from that tree. And, mm -hmm. and the fact that we marched right over and took a great big bite out of the forbidden fruit yeah. says something about us, not God. Um, you know, God didn't create a, a race of robots who have no choices and are forced to do whatever God says. He gave, created us in his image with free will. And he warned us about the dangers of sin and we didn't heed the warning so it's on us it's it's because of us and ourselves and our own actions that we have to face eternal death uh, and torment as just as god warned us we would but yet god is so loving and so gracious that he took the uh, immeasurable 
gracious step of trying to rescue us from our own predicament. So, so God is not sending anyone to hell. What God is doing is trying to rescue everybody from hell. That's uh, right. And so at that final judgment, which that we read about in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 to 15, uh, it will be a somber moment and a devastating moment. But by that time, God has made himself known to mankind through general revelation, through providence and conscience and creation itself. Uh, and he's promised that if we respond to him, he will send special revelation. He will make sure that we have the opportunity to hear and believe the gospel. And those who have stiffened their necks and again and again refuse to hear the gospel and believe the gospel will have nobody but themselves to blame. Uh, you know, if I offer you a gift, Curtis, and you refuse to take it, and that's not on me. Uh, no one can ever say, well, JB never did anything for Curtis. No, I, I offered you a gift. I paid for the gift. I went out and found it and bought it, chose it, selected it, and offered it to you free of charge. Mm -hmm. and you rejected it. Yeah. And uh, so uh, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. He wants everyone to recognize that Jesus Christ is the only one who can pay your sin debt and give you the gift of eternal life. And uh, I'm pleading with anyone listening to this uh, podcast right now that if you've not done that, uh, you need to place your faith in Jesus Christ and him alone as the only one who can forgive sin. Uh, right. Because we don't know when these unfulfilled prophecies will begin to be fulfilled. The rapture could happen today. And then in rapid succession, all of these prophecies begin to unfold. So that's the number nine is, is the, uh, the somber warning of the final judgment of unbelievers but then lastly on my list anyway that i'd like to focus on is the creation of the new heavens and the new mm -hmm. earth and uh, what a joy Ooh. that will be as we read about in revelation 21 verses 1 and 2 now i saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and also the first earth had passed away there was no more sea then i john saw the holy city new jerusalem coming down out of heaven from god prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. God himself will be their God and they will be, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things are, have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, behold, I make all things new. Yeah, it's uh, it is going to be an incredible moment. Um, and we will then be uh, fellowshipping and rejoicing in a sinless eternal state uh, for all of eternity. So those are those are my top 10 list of most important unfulfilled prophecies, the rapture of the church, the glorification of our bodies, the judgment seat of Christ. Right. <coughs> Excuse me, the unveiling of the Antichrist outpouring of god's wrath the second coming of, of christ and his millennial reign final judgment of satan the final judgment of unbelievers and then uh the creation of the new heavens and the new earth so i ask what are you waiting for you know what are you waiting for uh look up and be watchful for our redemption draws nigh amen amen to that you know jb it strikes me as uh actually rather non-coincidental that you know 
my list of top 10 looks just like yours. Amen. Yeah. And, and, and Pastor Dick's too. Oh, it's, amen. Just, it's amazing. Right. I, listen, we're all looking forward to all of those things. We really are. And uh, we thank you for this hour uh, today as a reminder to Christians that there are a lot of wonderful, wonderful, unfulfilled events that are going to happen. Yes, there are a few uh, negative consequences for unbelievers. There are. And I'm, I'm understating that, of course. Um, and we need to be reminded of those things, too. And, and uh, uh, hopefully that, that gives us a new fervent desire to reach unbelievers for Christ. And uh, that's part of the reason we do this, uh, what we do with this podcast, JB. And we, we thank you for, uh, for joining us in that, in that effort. And, and endeavor we we thank you thank you so much my pleasure um, we'll look forward to uh, talking with you again uh, on next week's program absolutely we uh, and by the way ladies and gentlemen the subject of next week's broadcast is yet undetermined um i'm sure that jb will go with just how he's led by the holy spirit that's that's what we expect well, <laughs> that's I, what I we do on this end i hope next week's topic is an open form discussion of what it was like for all of us to experience the rapture. So that, you know what? You know would, what? That, <laughs> that, that would be one heck of a podcast, wouldn't it? Yeah. Although, are we going to have the Christian Underground News Network in heaven, or will it be no longer around? Well, I, I don't know. I, I I get the sneaking suspicion that there will be no need for it to be an underground. Right. You can call it the but, Christian Overground News. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Yeah. I can hardly wait. Yeah. You want to live next door to me, JB? Absolutely. But I don't think I'm going to probably be on the other side of the tracks in heaven. I'm pretty sure. I, I don't think I'll be in your. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, listen, we, we sure do appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule, JB, to be with us uh, again today. And, and uh, it's always a blessing. So thank you very much. And I know our listeners feel the same way. Uh, if they could personally, they, they would thank you too. And, and um, we look forward to next Tuesday with you. Um, I'm sure you and I will be in touch sometime during the week uh, to, to firm all that out. Uh, but um, for all of our listeners, we, we'd like you to be in prayer for JB and his wife as they travel back to the contiguous United States uh, and pray for their uh, travel mercies and their safety a safe arrival and uh, and uh, continued fruitful ministry at Plum Creek Chapel. Do not forget. Uh, now you are meeting this Wednesday, right, JB? Yeah. Thanks for mentioning that. So yeah, Wednesday night, tomorrow night, uh, uh, we will have part seven of what in the world is going on. And we're going to be taking a look at secret societies and how the devil likes to do everything in secret as he rolls out his plan. Well, that ought to be some, well, just, just the title alone is interesting, and I know exactly what you're talking about. Some organizations like, uh, oh, I don't know. I'm just taking a pot shot here, but uh, I don't know. The Illuminati, yeah. the Bilderbergs, maybe. Uh, Freemasons going to be included in that, maybe. Yep, Bohemian Grove and CFR and Skull and yeah. Bones and on and on. Yep. Okay, so all right. At six o'clock mountain time, if you want to live stream it, just go to notbyworks.org and we'll send out an email reminder as well. Uh, or of course, it'll be recorded and you can always either listen to the podcast or watch the videos uh, by uh, Thursday of this week. Amen. It's going to be an exciting topic. Don't miss it. 
no matter where you're at, set the time aside and tune in, live stream it. You will be glad that you did. Um, but with that, I think we're going to close the show for today. And, uh, and we want to thank our listeners for being with us once again today. And we hope that you were greatly blessed by what you heard. And um, pray that you'll tune in to uh, be with us again this coming Saturday when we uh, do continue on our series of, about what is a mystery. Um, Pastor Dick's been speaking about mysteries and uh, uh, really incredible Saturday morning. This is this past Saturday morning. So we're looking forward to this coming Saturday morning also. Hope you are too. Join us if you will. And uh, until then, this is the Christian Underground News Network signing off until this Saturday. May God.